brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is Business Rockstars from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Jeannie Yerman, and our guest today is Alejandro Chain. He is the founder and CEO of Mott & Bow. Hi, nice to see you. Thanks for having me. So you are disrupting the denim market. Now, when you think of disrupting any market, you usually think of transportation like Uber or technology. Who knew that denim needed to be disrupted? So tell me about that. Well, um, I was in a lucky position. My family uh, has a business uh, in the jean space since the 80s, so I grew up in that. And I always felt that it was overpriced uh, to get premium quality. So I said, let's deliver the right product at the right price. And that's how the company started. So before you, though, before you got into this and, and started this company, tell me what you were up to. I did my uh, graduate studies uh, here at NYU, uh, and then I just saw the opportunity when I was here in the States uh, to go direct to the consumer and just uh, deliver that value proposition. So you, uh, as I recall, you're an, you were an engineering major. What, what was the thinking behind that? Was that to kind of supplement your knowledge of the industry, or did you ever at some point think of maybe going somewhere else? Because I grew up... Because I grew up on the manufacturing side, I chose industrial engineering, which was a mix of operations efficiency that also gave you the business side. So that was the thinking there. I think it was a good balance uh, and it gave me critical thinking and uh, I love the, the program. So uh, it was kind of calculated. It was to supplement what you were doing. Yeah. You knew from the get-go that you were going to start a company? I always wanted to start one. I didn't know when, what exactly. Uh, and so I just wanted to position myself in the best place so that when I did take that leap that uh, I would have strong fundamentals. Uh, so let's turn to your family. You've got kind of a unique situation. Uh, for the viewers, you know, give us a sense of how you grew up, what your family is involved with, and how that plays into what you're doing now. So I'm from Honduras, uh, which is located in Central America. Um, and since the 80s, my family has a manufacturing facility. They did jeans, they did uh, shirts. And so my dad always took me to work since the age of 13 in the summers. Uh, and he took me to meetings with him. So I learned a little bit about business then. And uh, I think at the age of 18 was when I started really working in the summers uh, once I was in college. And I love growing up there. Um, but the mix of business and the family environment was great. Um, and uh, that was a stepping stone into uh, what we have now. Would you say that then that your, your family is all very entrepreneurial minded? Very, yeah. Almost all of them have started a business and I think that uh, was a phenomenal example. What were you learning as you were, you know, 18 years old and, and working for your dad's company? Um, you know, what were you witnessing about what he was doing that you thought was smart, that you wanted to take with you? 
at the time you don't realize exactly what you're learning, but you're interacting with people that are at a higher level. Obviously, you're at the age of 18, so uh, you're just learning a ton, absorbing. And then when it comes into uh, fruition at a later stage, I think you already uh, kind of know how to handle certain things, uh, and so you're better positioned than if you wouldn't have. Um, so, you know, you're putting together, um, you know, a staff and a business. Um, you know, to what extent did you kind of have already have all of that is we've been talking about kind of built in, you know, to your knowledge base. And to what extent did you have to kind of go out and educate yourself? And, and you know, and how did you educate yourself if you had to? I, I did have a foundation, but uh, a lot of this path is unchartered. So it's about learning uh, on the go and kind of learning to swim while you're uh, in the ocean. Uh, so I didn't know about hiring. I didn't know about performance marketing at the time, which were key uh, to help the company grow and position it where it uh, has uh, gotten. How old is the company right now? On uh, fifth year. Fifth year. Yeah. Okay, so you've been going for quite some time. Yeah. Um, what are you noticing about yourself in, in the evolution as, as a leader, as a CEO? You get better at it with practice. I think just... Uh, having different situations uh, present itself every week, every month, uh, you transition and you become better. Um, when you encounter challenges, and, and of course you do, I'm sure, on a daily and almost a minute-to-minute -minute basis, and you're having to make decisions, um, what's the process? Uh, you know, if you're really uh, stuck on something, do you have a mentor, do you have somebody you turn to, or do you, do you turn to family members? What do you do? I always try to think of the end goal uh, and what we're trying to do to achieve it. And yeah, in the difficult situations, I think it is fundamental that you have mentors. I've been very lucky that my dad has been a tremendous mentor. And I also have two outside mentors uh, that I uh, get, got to meet here in the New York community. And for specific subjects, they have been fundamental uh, to help us get to where we are. Uh, so, you know, on, on the, the very human side with your, your staff, um, do you find that challenging to kind of figure out how to kind of organize them, manage them, encourage them, energize them? It's not, uh, it's not the easiest thing, but uh, you learn. So I think the easiest part is learning what the end goal is for everyone and uh, letting them have uh, ability to execute on that. And once you do that, I think they feel motivated uh, that they're working towards the same uh, end goal. Okay, and you know, if, if you had a friend coming into the business, um, you know, based on what you know now, uh, having led your company for five years, uh, you know, kind of how would you advise them to get started? What are some of like the key components in getting started? What should they be aware of? I think it's the easiest and the hardest time to start a business. Easiest because Technology has evolved so much that you can outsource pretty much everything. In a day, you can be up and running with a Shopify store. Um, but it's hard because there's that much more competition. So what I would say is keep everything lean and variable so that you don't have fixed costs that become insurmountable uh, and are just uh, impacting your uh, with a negative cash flow. So keep everything variable and then transition as things grow. 
you know, given that you already came into this with uh, a pretty solid knowledge base about what the, the, the product that you're dealing with, um, and you've had these resources, you have a great education, um, but certainly it, it, there must be times that you, you doubt yourself, right, inherently? Is that true or not so much? Do you... You doubt yourself, but you have to keep going forward. Uh, and if you're wrong in the decision you make, you just have to acknowledge it and correct it. I think it's, it's that simple and, and not be stubborn if you've made the mistake. Right. Um, so kind of along the same lines, uh, you know, if, if you could go back in time um, and you could give yourself one piece of advice, looking back at these past five years, um, what advice would you give yourself? At different points in time, like it's just always keep going uh, because uh, the effort is worth it. And uh, that's one of the things like you can't be looking back and looking at all the risk because if not, you wouldn't be doing it. Uh, it's crazy if you look at hindsight, uh, all the things that would have prevented someone from doing what they're doing and starting a company. Uh, so just keep going forward. Can you imagine yourself doing anything else? And, and if you were, what, what would you be doing? I don't know. I, uh, I, I probably would have started another company if I would have seen another opportunity. Uh, maybe not in the gene business. Uh, but yeah, I like building something, uh, grabbing individual assets, grouping them together, uh, taking a risk, and then presenting them uh, in a new business model or in a new product. So give me a sense of the average week for you uh, as CEO. You know, what does it require in the way of time? Um, are you working around the clock? Are you working Saturdays? You know, what is it like? One of the good things is you don't feel uh, a Sunday being a Sunday and you regretting, oh, tomorrow's Monday and the start of the week. Every day feels almost the same. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, and we depending on where the friction is at the time in the week, that's where I focus the attention on. And then obviously always planning ahead uh, for the six month to two, three year vision. Uh, so whatever is required uh, for those aspects is what uh, gets tackled. Okay, great. This is Business Rockstars from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We'll have more with our guest Alejandro Chayin in just a minute. <laughs> Is your body language making you look arrogant? I'm Alex Worley with the Business Rockstars Minute. There is a fine line between being cocky and confident. Believe it or not, body language can send cues to others about you and your personality. Are you sending the wrong messages? The following are some nonverbal cues that leave you looking arrogant to your team. Number one, avoiding eye contact. It makes you look uninterested or unwilling to participate in the conversation. Number two, crossing your arms. This stance closes you off from others and can make you look inaccessible. Number three, forgetting about your facial expressions. Remember, you don't want to lack confidence or seem unengaged. Avoid the arrogance gap. A simple tweak of your mannerism can make you appear more confident or even be more confident. I'm Alex Worley, and this has been a Business Rockstars Minute. Here is some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if you sign up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's the affordable alternative 
to health insurance, and it's worked beautifully for 25 years. They have more than 400,000 members now around the country. MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, and over the years, members have shared over $3 billion of each other's medical bills, so they could help share your needs too. And best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings could be more or less, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. You're not stuck with a high-cost health plan. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more, and there's no pressure. They are super easy to talk to. Call 844-91-BIBLE. That's 844-91-BIBLE. 844-91-BIBLE. Freedom doesn't... This is Business Rockstars from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm back with my guest, Alejandro Chain. He is the founder and CEO of Mott and Bow. Okay, Mott and Bow disrupting the denim industry. Let's just recap uh, what exactly you guys do. So we sell premium clothing products direct to the consumer. Uh, and we do that differently by going direct to the source on the supply side, figuring out what is the premium product. Uh, and then delivering it via our own supply chain, uh, our own e-commerce store, our own distribution to the final consumer. That way he doesn't have to overpay for quality goods. Okay, so um, you specialize in jeans. You started with men's jeans, right? We did, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so you started there, and now you've branched out to women's jeans. Correct. Um, and T-shirts, am I right? Yep. Uh, you know, when visiting your website, I noticed, of course, um, that you keep it very simple. Right. There's like maybe three or four styles per gender. Yeah. Right. Talk to me about that. Think of think of your closet. Right. Uh, what is the staple? What is the fundamental of your wardrobe? And that's what we're trying to deliver. Uh, we're not trying to go for the ma- most uh, forward fashion stuff, but we're going after the fundamentals and doing them really well. So you want to have a black jean, a gray jean, a couple of blue jeans. And we're really focusing on those staples. And that's why you see that. Uh, I, I know that you guys uh, turned to Kickstarter at a yeah. point. Um, how much of that was, you know, because you needed the funding versus um, this sense of let's let's see if there's demand for the product? That's a funny story. So I didn't do a typical Kickstarter. Uh, I delivered after two weeks of the funding uh, having having been completed. And the reason was the website wasn't ready and I had the product. So I wasn't gonna stand still for a month and just wait for the website to be done. So I said, I, I called a friend who does video and I said, let's put it up. Let's do a video and put it up in Kickstarter. Uh, it was a missed opportunity because I've seen the tremendous success certain campaigns have had in Kickstarter, where you can raise 500,000, a million, if you do it correctly. The marketing had to have been done in a way with influencers and people to uh, tell the story. And I didn't do that, uh, but it was the first lesson in that product wasn't going to be the only thing. I thought build a great product and then consumers will come. And that's uh, not a reality. Okay, so what is the reality? That you have to build a phenomenal product, but you also have to focus on how to get the word out there. Uh, there's too many people competing in the same industry, so you have to be very good about how you message that and how you get across the board efficiently. Okay, so that's a really good point that you make because there are a lot of uh, you know names out there in the denim industry. How do you differentiate yourself? Obviously, price is key, but how are you going about marketing yourselves? Um, Facebook ads are one, maybe yeah. one so, way. 
so uh, it's a value proposition in reality of a phenomenal product at a great price, and that combination is what we like to uh, say is our true value proposition. And then there's a lot of uh, channels, Facebook ads, uh, which are grouped with Instagram. Then you have Pinterest. There's a lot of native advertising. So you go on to earned, uh, earned media sites, and you can pay... Uh, a way to do a native advertising with them to make it look more natural and that way you're reaching the audience that that site already reaches. Uh, and there's a ton of other ways, influencers, just to name a few other. So um, your target audience, as I recall, in, in doing a little bit of homework is, are millennials and that makes sense when you visit the website that kind of seems to come across. I wouldn't narrow it only as millennials. I think of anyone that uh, likes a great product uh, and doesn't have to overpay for the name of the brand that they want to show they're wearing uh, and just like simple style. So that can range in a lot of uh, different age groups. Well, and I, I did notice, I have to ask, you have the mom gene. That's not selling out. Is it? No, well, it, it did sell out uh, and no. we brought it back in stock. Yeah, we have four <laughs> styles of it. Uh, it was uh, quite the story, whether we were going to call it the mom gene or something else. Uh -huh. But that's what a lot of people in the industry call it. So let's, why not? In, in, with internet business, you have to be very clear on what you're trying to communicate. Uh, and so people were calling it that and let's just call it that. So um, Kickstarter was a little bit of a happenstance thing. Yeah. Um, what have you done for capital? How, how have you funded yourself? So uh, I had an initial seed capital, but uh, going back to what I mentioned originally, I kept every single cost variable at the beginning. Uh, and so the business has been going on by itself. The beauty about e-commerce, as opposed to incumbents in wholesale or retail, is that your accounts receivable are zero. Uh, you get paid immediately. So if you're growing and you manage your accounts payable with suppliers correctly, and you're not burning money overspending to acquire customers, but you're doing it at a pace that is healthy for the business, uh, the business can continue growing without outside capital. That's great. So, okay, speaking of growing the business, uh, you know, how do you plan to do that? What's kind of the goal? Because you're keeping everything very simple. You, you probably, of course, need volume. Is there a temptation um, to maybe add more products? So how, how are you going to go about growing the business? There's two ways to grow it uh, in our thinking. Uh, new product categories, which we've started to add and we're going to continue adding. I think um, with what we did with jeans, there's a lot of product categories that have the same issue, that people really want something quality and premium, but they're not achieving it at the right price point. Uh, so we're, we really take a while. We take like between 12 months to 18 months to uh, launch a new product category, and that's about in the amount of prototypes that it takes us to get it right. Uh, and if it's not right, we scratch products. So we're going to grow in new product categories. Uh, and then we're also looking at additional markets. Uh, Canada, we're going to do an international test at the end of this year uh, with prepaid tariffs and shipping. That way it's seamless for those, for those consumers. You know, I, I notice in, in kind of reading some material about the company, simplicity keeps surfacing as kind of a theme for your company. So can you talk to me about that? Like, what, what is it about simplicity that is so important for the business? And it's so hard to achieve. Uh, but I believe in that as a core fundamental, not only in the design of our products, uh, but in everything we do. We have to make it as simple as possible for the consumer to understand what we're trying to communicate for him. Uh, in the checkout, make it as easy as possible for them to navigate the website and not get stuck on too many messages that they don't know what to do. So 
It's often one of the hardest things to do to achieve simplicity, but we really focus on that and trying to deliver it. And that applies to the manufacturing process too, yeah. true? Correct. So tell me a little bit about that. So in manufacturing, um, specifically genes, you can simplify, uh, for example, processes uh, in the dry finishing we were talking about earlier, uh, hand sanding and the artisans. And those are some of the things that we try not to overdo because then you get these whiskers in the genes that uh, it detracts from the overall picture. Uh, and we try to keep it as simple as possible to deliver a great product. And it really is a process. Uh, after watching some videos online about how these genes are made, uh, I had this brand new respect for genes and, and, and what they cost and, and the labor that goes into them. It's extremely uh, intensive in manual processes and people wouldn't believe it. So I invite anyone who's watching and is curious to go check them out on our website. Uh, but yeah, you see people who've honed a craft and are using sandpaper uh, so that they can get whiskers on jeans and uh, scraping process to make it look natural like a jean's been worn in for a year, two years, and get that natural effect. So it's unbelievable. And that's why we try to show it. That's one of our ways uh, to tell consumers what we're doing and how exciting it is. Well, all so interesting. Um, and I, I'll have to try out a pair of jeans. I'm gonna have to order some. Would love the feedback. We'll send you a pair. <laughs> Terrific. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. From the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, this is Business Rockstars. Prescription products require an online physician consultation and are only available if the physician determines a prescription is appropriate. Subscription required. See website for full details and important safety information. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash joy. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4hims.com slash joy. That's 4hims.com slash joy for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash This is Business Rockstars. Rockstars. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Mark Lack, and we're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. Joining us right now is David Slay. He's the CEO of Hestia Tobacco. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So Hestia Tobacco, you're obviously in the tobacco industry, but what specific? What do you guys do? What do you provide? Uh, so Hestia Tobacco is the first all-natural, uh, totally pure tobacco company in a generation. Pure so. tobacco. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Explain that. because. A lot so, of people out there don't know the difference. Oh, absolutely. So there, there's a lot of, when, when you walk into Walgreens yeah. to buy a pack of cigarettes, you'll see about 30, 40 brands behind the counter. And At least, right? 
At least. And what most folks don't know is that all of those brands are owned by one of two companies, <laughs> RJ Reynolds and Philip Morris, or Altria, as they renamed themselves. And they use it. It's a very commodified product using a very low-grade uh, mixed tobacco that there's a world of world of difference between their products and, and ours. And pure tobacco. And, and ours. So we're not yet USDA organic certified. That's, that's a process that takes some time, but we are growing to organic standards and uh, using the very best that we can find. So this is an industry that I feel like is not something that you just kind of have an idea because you saw something on Shark Tank and you're like, I am going to have an idea and raise some money. You're competing against two giant gorilla companies. And I feel like there's not a lot of people that try to get into the space unless they're very, very, very niched. So why did you choose to get into space? I chose to get into tobacco because I met a lot of really interesting farmers that meant a lot to me. I was trading soybeans for ADM down in Valdosta, Georgia. And was buying the cash crop and arbitraging it at the Board of Trade in Chicago and met all these farmers who were actually, they were tobacco farmers by trade, but they were having to grow soybeans and sell them to pay the bills for their families because they'd lost out on big tobacco contracts and whatnot. And I dared them to grow me some of the best tobacco and see where that ended up. And I didn't really think <laughs> you they dared took me them to grow you. <laughs> I didn't think they took me seriously, but yeah. they, they did. And that was the nexus of Hestia Tobacco. Wow. That's a pretty unique story. My question is, do you use your own product? I do. <laughs> okay. Just making sure, right? Some people yeah. don't even use their own product. Really? Some people don't. That's fascinating. Right? I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think of examples. Maybe like, uh, this is a ridiculous example that just came to mind. Maybe like a guy that makes diapers. Like, okay. That would be well, an example. That's that a ridiculous was... example, but that was like, for some reason, the first I'll one. I'll give that guy a pass. <laughs> that guy gets the pass. What do you feel like has been the hardest part about getting started? Easily the hardest part of getting started was getting through the FDA. Okay. Uh, so I was, I started the company right at the time that the government took control, the FDA took control of tobacco. So you don't, they don't regulate alcohol. That's ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Mm-hmm. And that's what used to be the, the regulatory board. And in 2009, uh, the tobacco industry was handed over to the FDA for regulation. And so they are trying to subject it. It's a process that they're still trying to figure out, but they're pretty much trying to regulate it in the same way that they regulate uh, new drugs coming to market. So, so is this a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, it's a very good thing for the two companies that control the market. Mm. And it's a very bad thing for anyone trying to break into the space. Okay. Because it's, uh, as I was saying, the the level of uh, regulatory framework and structure that's necessary to bring a product to market is the same as bringing a new a medical drug. And now uh, there are clear differences in a tobacco product and a new drug pharmaceutical, as as the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. So it's, they, they're using the same rubric. And so it's, it's very difficult and challenging as the government also tries to figure out how to best work that, but it's uh, very onerous. So that's the toughest part about getting started. What about from like in like a personal perspective. That's more like the business stuff. What about the personal stuff? Because I feel like a lot of times that's what holds people back too is it's their mindset. It's their limiting belief. It's their, they don't have the money. They don't have the resources, the education, the people. Yeah. So I, um, I, I guess I kind of fell into it. I, I didn't always know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I always enjoyed creating things. And so you know, I, I'd been to law school and didn't want to be a lawyer. I was working for uh, a fund and it, it all it all kind of came together as I w- as I was working with these farmers and seeing their vision and really wanting to be a voice for that and and get it out there and it's sure, sure I mean it's it's I I own a tobacco company and I'm proud of it and I think we do a lot of good things my uh, my mother 
I, I was homeschooled growing up and she on Saturday mornings would bake a lot of bread and put it in the back of a uh, uh, wagon for me to go wheel around the neighborhood and sell the bread to my neighbors. Cause she always wanted me to have like an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. So I guess There's in all, some ways that from a young age, the bread kind of, yeah, laying the breadcrumbs. <laughs> I love that. Well, I think that it's interesting to always hear people's stories about, you know, what their past environments and conditioning was that led them to be an entrepreneur, which is why I asked, We've got the CEO of Hestia Tobacco, David Slay, joining us. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Mark Lack, and we're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. My question for you is, has there been a time yet, as inevitably there is for most entrepreneurs on their journey, where you felt like giving up? Oh, you absolutely. Felt, you felt like it's time to go and get a job again, which would be the worst thing ever. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it, was, it was very... So I, I was working at ADM, Archer Daniels Midland, and... The, the, the section that I was working on um, was sort of regulated out of existence. So I originally hoped to sort of build, build Hestia into something while part-time, like most entrepreneurs. Yeah. And then as it gained footing and traction and reception, then I could perhaps jump and leave to it uh, full-time. But I was, I was, my, my section of ADM was closed, and so I was forced out. And uh, I ended up actually living with my parents for a couple of years. So it, uh, that's that's a very humbling thing when you're yeah. first starting out and doing what you got to do as an entrepreneur. Yeah, and you go from you know working in the finance sector to living with your parents in one fell swoop, yeah. and it uh, it sobers you up real quick. Hey, and and Mark Cuban used to eat ketchup sandwiches, and other people just eat top ramen for seven years, and those are some of the people that became billionaires. So you know you go through those humbling experiences, but I think you come out on the other end if you persevere and you come out yeah. better and stronger. Has there been a mentor that has impacted your life? Could be parents, could be Tony Robbins, could be somebody, <laughs> no. right? Um, my, my maternal grandfather was, um, he, he started an oil company and uh, was one of the first to figure out how to do slant drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. And I always, and he, he always inspired me and taught me a lot about how to run a business and how to, how to be an employee really so much as even being a boss. And I think mm. you have to be a really good employee if you want to be a boss. So, Why do you believe that? Um, because you have to know, you have to know the chain of command. You have to know where your role is and you have to feel, um, I, I know that Mark Cuban said a lot about this, but you, you have to always, in any decision that you make, you have to think of how it's going to affect everyone down the line. Mm. So, how do you build a successful brand? Because you have to for what you're doing. Absolutely. I would say for almost every business, the dream scenario is you build a brand. Nike is not worth their billion dollar valuation because they make shoes from China, but they do it because of the brand. The swoosh Absolutely. is where the value is. Coca-Cola is their, yes, it's their recipe, but it's the Coca-Cola brand. So you're building a brand. I am. What is the hardest part about building a brand? What are some things like, advice like, oh, we blew it when we were doing this, building our brand. This is what you need to avoid. This is what you should do. A lot of people out there have companies, they don't have brands. The hardest part is figuring out your core values and sticking to it. And it's not easy to stick to it because there's, there's always an easy buck to be made. I mean, yeah. I, get, I, got, I get pitched at least once a month, if not more often, on taking Hestia tobacco and distilling it into some kind of e-juice for an e-cigarette mm. or this or that. And I mean, there's nothing really pure about that. There's not an organic experience. And so, and, and, it's, and there's a lot of quick money to be made there. So, so that devalues the brand. Right. And so, so you, you figure out what you stand for. And obviously we just stand for pure, authentic tobacco, mm. you know, as pure, as best as we can make it. Yeah. And that means you can't cut any corners. So you can't take the easy money. And mm. there's, 
there, there, there are those core values and you stick to them and you hammer them home and you make sure that your customers know them and resonate with them and they'll find you. Uh, I, I think there are folks in this country and around the world who just want, you know, look, they choose to, they, they choose to use tobacco and then they choose to yeah. enjoy it and we give them the best possible product. How do you decide? And this is a, this is a finance question. How do you decide the price? Really, we, we, we have much higher input costs because we're much lower volume and we pay more for our tobacco. And we. So that's what I'm saying. There's got to be a higher price. Right. But I, I can't say I really looked to where the market was per se. I mean, there's taxes built in that you can't get around. Yeah. But really, we just find what our input costs are and find, you know, a profit margin for us and let the customers take it from there. So I know that sometimes there's sort of that uh, reverse psychology effect of, Raising the price of something so more people will think it's rare or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, I'm trying to be authentic and be, uh, make the purest product I can. And in some, because we, we, so we're incorporated in Nevada, we pay taxes in Nevada. And so in certain states, we're more expensive th- mm-hmm. than our competition. And in other states, we're less expensive because we're normalized across the country. Okay. And Are you in all 50 states? Yes, we, we, we can ship to all 50 states. Okay. So distribution is something we're working on, but we can do drop shipping because we are a cigar. And so we, we don't adjust the prices by where it's going based on, Whatever, because we, we, we only pay taxes in Nevada yeah. corporately, and so that's 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 how we got our pricing. We just <laughs> uh, we took our input costs, which were much higher, and uh, factored in the taxes and our profit margin, and went from there. That's fantastic. I was just reading one of the quotes on the back here, which yeah, we wrote uh, our quotes. It's fun. You you read it up. So is there is there on, on all of them or just on those ones? Uh, only on these. We're actually kind of cycling away from this because we're having smaller yeah. packs, but it's okay. it's been a fun thing. Uh, it's from Steps by Frank O'Hara. Oh God, it's wonderful to get out of bed and drink too much coffee and smoke too many cigarettes and love you so much. <laughs> Which is a uh, pain he wrote to the city of New York. Mm, interesting. Why did you choose to put quotes on the back? Just something to be different? I was, uh, I, I, I'm an avid reader and mm. I, I, I love literature. And so I found quotes that I liked. I mean, the whole, the whole project has basically been my passion project. And so things I like end up in some capacity in the brand. Well, last question as we wrap up, if you had to start over completely, what industry would you get into? What product would you want to sell? Oh, I mean, I, to start, start over. Not started over completely. You couldn't get back in this industry. Oh, I can't do tobacco. You can't do tobacco. If you had to start over from scratch, what would you want to get into? Virtual reality, tech, software? No, I'd probably just make a bourbon. Make a bourbon? Yeah. Okay, love it. So if somebody says, I want to learn more about you, I want to go to your website, maybe I want to order a pack of these, yeah. where can they do that? HestiaTobacco.com. HestiaTobacco.com. David, thanks for coming the show. pleasure. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Mark Lack, and we connect the community of entrepreneurs. You can join us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at BusinessRockstars.com. Have you ever watched Shark Tank or The Profit and thought to yourself, I have a great idea, but don't know how to get it started? Or you have a startup or a small business that you want to take to the next level. Business Rockstars is going to help you to launch your idea or take your business to the next level with Startup Bootcamp, a free webinar that features big CEOs, your blueprint on how to launch a business in 90 days, cool entrepreneurial tech tools, how to get funded, and mentors that can help you launch and grow your business. Business Rockstars is giving you this video webinar free. Let's go to businessrockstars.com and enter the promo code RADIO. That's businessrockstars.com with promo code radio. This Business Rockstars video webinar is free for the first thousand to sign up. Learn how to launch or grow your business now. Go to businessrockstars.com, promo code radio. That's businessrockstars.com, promo code radio for this free webinar.
That's businessrockstars.com, promo code radio. Hey, check out this report of our Office 365 email and the threats sitting in users' inboxes. Wow, how did you get this? There's a free tool called Barracuda Email Threat Scanner that can quickly and safely scan our Office 365 email for hidden threats like spear phishing and domain fraud. Really? Yeah, Barracuda Email Threat Scanner identifies hidden threats and employees most at risk for a cyber attack, all summarized in a complete report. This is great. Get your free email threat scan now at barracuda.com. Barracuda. Your journey secured. Message and data rates may apply. What if there were a top-ranked business degree that gave you access to world-renowned faculty, leaders, and mentors, but on your schedule? The W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University is now accepting high-quality applicants for its MBA and Business Analytics Master's degree programs offered 100% online. Learn more about the top-ranked W.P. Carey business degrees online. Text RANK to 79645. Again, that's R-A-N-K to 79645. You shouldn't have to choose a random lawyer who charges expensive hourly rates when you need legal help. But the legal system is so complicated, what other choice do you have when you need help with your business or want to protect your family? Start with LegalZoom. They make it easy. For more than a decade, they've provided a way for regular people like you and me to confidently navigate the legal system. LegalZoom's not a law firm, and that's how they provide such great value. They don't rely on charging you by the hour. Instead, you'll get transparent pricing and customer reviews so you know exactly what you're getting up front. If you need help with incorporation, LLCs, trademarks, last wills, living trusts, and more, LegalZoom's the smart choice. They've got the right people on hand to answer your questions. And if you need legal advice, their network of independent attorneys can provide the straightforward guidance you need in most states. Don't let legal hurdles become an excuse. Go to LegalZoom.com today to start building your own future the right way. To save even more, enter Rockstar in the... Business Rockstars. Inspire, inform, and connecting a community of entrepreneurs. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Pat O'Brien. Welcome to the show. Now let's check in with Alex Worley for good reason. She's always got somebody great. Alex? How and when to hire freelancers. We're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Alex Worley. This is Business Rockstars. And Michelle McSwain, CEO and co-founder of Pablo, is here to help us answer that question. So Michelle, obviously, when you're a newer company and you have a tight budget, sometimes hiring full-time employees is not an option, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so sometimes you need to turn to freelance work. Yeah. Because how many full-time employees do you have? We have two full-time developers mm-hmm. um, and they are in Cairo, Egypt, which is where our co-founder and CTO is also. Um, but we have still needed to bring in extra help. Um, it's it's a lot of work to develop an app. Yeah. So, so approximately how many freelancers are you currently working with or maybe have worked with total? I would say we've probably worked with total three to four over the last um, year or close to a year. And we're currently working with one right now. Uh, we uh, definitely use freelancers for uh, different types of jobs. And one of them is QA testing. And that's been a really great role to hire a freelancer. And explain for. what that is. Um, that is basically like quality control. Mm-hmm. Um, going through and 
doing a deep dive into your product, testing all the ins and outs and um, putting together a very comprehensive list that we can hand off to our developers. Um, It's something that, you know, my co-founders and I, we also do all the testing ourselves, but having a dedicated QA person is, has been really valuable. So what are some of the other areas that you've hired freelancers for? Uh, so we are working with um, like a freelancer who's kind of also an intern um, doing our social media. That's another really great area to um, get help. And uh, we also have another freelancer who is helping on the development side. Um, so our full-time developers, they do all of the, the big main stuff yeah. and all the day-to-day. Uh, but we have some areas that um, are maybe on a tighter timeline that we want to get taken care of. So we bring in a freelance developer to come and help us move a little quickly with some items. Mm -hmm. And you've hired freelancers, it sounds like, from the lower skill to the Mm -hmm. higher skill level, like social media, for instance. It hasn't really made sense for you to have someone full-time to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So So how do you direct them to make sure, for instance, that you are having that quality control (laughs) and that you, it's on brand as well, especially social media? Um, So we, so my co-founder, Ryan, who runs all of our marketing and the social side, we work directly with the freelancers. We have weekly meetings where we brainstorm the content. Um, We also have all of our branding docs, which uh, we always stick to. We have certain rules that we always stick to with our social media and how we're posting. Can you give me a couple examples? um, I think that's a great idea to have like a document for... Yeah. um, One of our our biggest rules for our Instagram account is um, because we are a video and photo app, we're only actually posting videos. So we do not allow any photo, like still photographs Mm -hmm. on our Instagram. So that's just one little... Continuity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, continuity. And um, it's also just a little more visual. Yeah. um, Which is... What Which is what you guys are all about. Yeah. And then you've also, like you mentioned, hire, hired someone with more of a higher skill level because yeah. you really just wanted them to do a great job. Yeah. So you didn't have to go back and pay more to exactly. fix it. Exactly. And you were on a deadline. So yeah. when is that the better thing to do to maybe hire the more expensive person? Yeah. So I think... Um, the way we did it was we basically had a, a full timeline and budget for what we could spend money on and when we needed to get something accomplished. And, you, you know, there's definitely areas that you can kind of cut corners on and you, you don't have to go extremely expensive with with the freelancer that you're hiring. But there are also areas that might be the core of your business or the core of your product that you really... You don't want to screw up. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to screw up and you really want to make sure someone... uh, You're working with someone who um, is knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. So uh, these were the areas that we brought in someone to help with our development team just achieve uh, what we were trying to accomplish in the timeframe that we were trying to launch. This is Business Rockstars. We're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Alex Worley, joined by Michelle McSwain. She's the CEO and co-founder of Pablo. Now, some people might be watching and go, okay, great, but how do I find these people? And you find them very easily thanks to two websites. What are they? Yeah, uh, so we use Angel Co. and Upwork, and they've been really great. Um, Both are a little different. Um, How are they different? Uh, so Upwork is uh, purely for hiring. Um, Angel Co. has a whole other uh, side to it. You can um, 
find other co-founders. If you're looking to bring on a co-founder, you can meet investors. It's, it's a whole different type of networking platform. But okay. You can also hire freelancers as well. Whereas Upwork is solely focused on freelance work. Have you had different or similar success with each site? Um, I would say similar success with each. Um, okay. We found our QA tester through Upwork. And we've worked with him multiple times now. And we found um, one of our uh, developers that we bring on freelance through Angel Co. And we've also worked with him several times. And so the first time you go to these sites, I've used Upwork.com, so <laughs> I'm familiar with it. It can feel a little overwhelming because there's, yeah, so, there's many so many options, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. But again, can feel a little overwhelming. They do do a good job of making recommendations Mm -hmm. and having a system for finding the right people. But what have you found to be helpful for finding the right people? Um, Really, it's similar to Yelp, going based off of the the stars that they have and the other comments left by clients that like previous clients they've worked with. That has proven to be the best way to find someone. So really do a deep dive, Mm -hmm. the ratings, proof of performance, all of that. (laughs) Anything else that goes into finding freelancers? Um, I would just say, take your time. Um, I know like it took us a very long time to find someone that we thought was a a right fit. And um, being a startup, time is kind of of the essence, Mm -hmm. but try to take your time and, and see all the options as many as you can. So you mean the research process? Yeah. Yeah. Do you interview them? Yes. Do you, okay. Over Skype? Over Skype. Hang out. Yes. Even on Upwork, we, we always interview first. Thank you so much to my guest, Michelle McSwain, CEO and co-founder of Pablo. We're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Alex Worley, and this is Business Rockstars. here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. Welcome to Business Rockstars. I'm Pat O'Brien. Our rock star today is Deontra Hughes, the founder of Spare. That's what the S means, or does it mean Superman? Oh, well, pretty close. Either one works for us. Uh, the one works for me. <laughs> you know, we've all seen that, would you like money back when you put your debit card in? Mm-hmm. This is about, would you like money? No back. Deontra, welcome. Thank you, Pat. What, Thank what, you for having what me. What is Spare? Well, Spare is a community-based cash network. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, we set out to empower our merchants and empower our consumers. We realized that as the economic change, not just uh, the the economic climate changed, not just domestically, but internationally, there was a subset of the economy that was either becoming increasingly unbanked or underbanked. And so our goal, underbanked, meaning that... uh, you don't have access to the same financial services as someone else, perhaps in your same country. And so what we've done is we've created this network that has reduced some of the slack and inefficiency around the money moving or cash moving process as it exists today. Mm-hmm. Is it like an ATM or? Well, yeah, it's an ATM in your pocket, essentially. Right. With the iOS. Big pockets. Yes, big, big pockets. No, what we've done is that lovely iOS device, that iPhone or the iPad that you have. Right. Today, as far as banking is concerned, that mobile device gives you the ability to do almost pretty much everything. 
The only thing that was lacking until Except we came along. Back. <laughs> oh yeah, right? But until we came along, the only thing that you could not do with your iOS device or with your mobile phone was have access to cash. Right. And so now we've completely given you the ability to uh, do all of your banking inside of your mobile device. All right. What was your first job? So I actually get into this in detail. Yes. So I actually came out of finance. I used to work for J.P. Morgan, and somewhere along the way, I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur, and uh, everybody says their grand was everybody's grandfather an entrepreneur. Well, most people come in here, and I'm. I applaud that. Well, yes. Well, I believe, you know, with at my grandfather's time, you know, entrepreneurialism was a very just natural facet of, of everyday life. Um, and I think then we had this industrial revolution that kind of kicked in right. and drove these very big businesses and very big industries. Uh, and people decided that they would rather be part of a company than own, than own their company. Or the education, educational system came in and said, let's program people to, to build these Goliath businesses and, and these monsters of industry uh, rather than teach them to create their own. Right. And let's, let's, let's uh, uh, take a voodoo doll and make right. sure they think nine to five. Is exactly. Okay. Yes. Yes. And so I was very much inspired by my grandfather and I were very close. And my dad, my father was actually in the military. And one of the things that my father impressed upon me uh, very early on was go out, get your education. Uh, he did not push me in the direction of the military. He wanted me to, to go out and find my own path in life. And so, you know, from my, my father's encouragement of seeing his father be an entrepreneur and be successful, um, my father did the same thing for me. He said, look, you know, son, go out uh, and, and go after whatever it is and, and, uh, and, and go down that path because not many are built for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just very fortunate that I've had people in my life that have right. been very encouraging. I, I'm from a Navy family. I was in the Army three days, a day to get in, a day to figure out how to get out. <laughs> In a day to get out. <laughs> oh, that's but I have an honorable discharge and a letter from Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the worst job you ever had? Worst job? Well, you know, <laughs> so Come my, on, my one. So, uh, well, my my first job uh, was I used to bag groceries. Uh, I used to work for a little grocery store. You know, organization of skills. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, it, it was one of those uh, situations where you could only move as fast as they would allow you to, and. Uh, you know, I mean, although, up. yeah, you can only yeah. move up as fast as they would allow you to. And the laws. And by work. the way, if you do move up, that's a good business. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and so for me, you know, I was, you know, I was a hungry high school student, but I had some time on my hands. My parents said, go get a job. Um, but I, I learned very much the very basic skills. But the toughest part about it was, the, I think, what we, we, we encounter now as adults is we have sometimes we have to swallow our pride. Sometimes there are just things that you have to do. And it was the first time that I came and I interact with the, the, the phrase, the customer is always right. And I think it's only the worst job uh, in that category because <laughs> I don't think I've ever dealt, I've ever really absorbed that completely. Um, I'm still very much, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. And it doesn't really matter what your title is or what position you have. Right. There's a certain level of- Is there a racial part of this? Uh, you never thought well, of that, did you? You know, not really, but I, I did live in Yuma, Arizona. And so the, the grocery store was there. And, and so you're, you're in this very Republican state in this little town. Uh, it's almost in the middle of nowhere. Not a whole, but a whole lot of people have heard of it. Do I believe there's some kind of racial component? I mean, to were it? you feeling like, oh, I'm, you know. Very rarely. I'm the black guy, the, the white guy. You know, it, it, it's, it's, in, it, it's very interesting. I, I, was, I was very privileged in my growing up. Um, I didn't, it was very rare that I was exposed to a situation where I believe the other individual saw in shades. Right, okay. So it was actually... 
racist for me to ask that question. We are here to inspire, <laughs> inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Pat O'Brien. Uh, Deontra Hughes is our guest. He's the founder of Spare. A very interesting concept. So now as you're, as you're growing up. Yes. Um, well, at least we try to, right? Well, I'm, I'm never going <laughs> to. But um, I don't know how to put it. Was entrepreneurship in the back of your head? Or were you one of these people like, I always wanted to be in this business. And I made it happen. Uh, but we always going, how do I get in this? How do I do this? How do I start up? How do I get the money? Where's my idea? Who am I going to, you know? Yeah, well, I, I would like to say I, I hit a ceiling inside of corporate America. And um, <laughs> I... And it wasn't glass. It was not glass. And, and really what it was is I believe that you should always hunger for more. You should always have this, 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 this desire to, to absorb more and to desire more. Um, and I, I believe that I had learned as much as I could from the financial sector to where I could then go out and make a positive impact myself. You know what's interesting about that is that you're smart enough to know that you had learned as much as you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I never thought that in college or graduate mm-hmm. school. I thought, man, these people are going to teach me stuff. Right. But I wanted to learn just enough to make a difference. Yeah, right. Got it. Um, do you have any friends? I have lots of friends. Yes, okay. most Very, people say no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I've so what's happened with with friends? I'm, I have a very close knit, mm-hmm. uh, small group of friends. Um, so as a child, I traveled around a bit. So I was actually born in Tennessee, uh, and then when I was very young, I moved to the Virgin Islands. Um, then my dad was stationed in Oceanside, California. Then we moved to Arizona, uh, and then about six years ago, I moved to Los Angeles. Right. And so. What I have been able to learn, there's some very interesting um, things that you learn when you're going through that constant shifting and process. Is you learn how to make friends. How to make friends is very important, but it's also how to fit in very quickly Mm -hmm. to your environment so you're not the outcast. Um, And so by doing that, you're able to find the genuine people uh, when you move from place to place. You're never the outcast, you're the interesting new guy. Yes. Yeah, well, I remember when I moved to Arizona, uh, my nickname was the, the, the Cali boy, uh, <laughs> which, which was, could, could have been worse. But yeah, it could have been a heck of a lot worse, right? We're talking about junior in high school uh, when everyone's already made all of their friends. And so now you're coming into this new social environment. And so now you've got to make friends. And so I take that nickname any day. No, absolutely. Can't remember if I had a well, uh, OB, O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you... Do you have a family? Are you married? You uh, no, fam- no family at this particular time. I do have a significant other, someone that I'm very, very close to. Okay. Um, How do you balance work and your life? So that's the tricky part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they always say that, you know, the things that are important to you, you will make time for. Sure. Um, and I, I think, lie, <laughs> well, I think as, as, as you go down this path of being an entrepreneur, it's very important that you find some kind of self-balance. Um, if you do not, um, this process, this, this, this drive, this, this thing that you're going after can eat alive your relationships. Mm-hmm. And so it's an imperative that you keep in mind and be sensitive uh, to how much time that you, you're, you're dedicating to your craft, to your passion, but also making sure that those... So much quality time. So yes. you're learning while you're dedicated. Exactly. Yeah. So it's very much quality time, but you also have to be cognizant and very aware that there are people that are connected to you. Um, and it's very healthy for you to, to step away from your, your craft mm-hmm. um, and, and, and interact with those very supportive 
uh, and loving people that are just just right there, um, whether they're a phone call, an email, a Skype session, whatever it may be, away. What's the longest you've been without your cell phone? Oh, goodness. I would say maybe maybe 24 hours. What? <laughs> yes, a whole 24 Man, hours. you right? are Superman. Oh, goodness. Well, there, you know, I... I went down the path of, of, of wanting to, uh, but, and, but, but people say, Oh, I'm going to get off. No. That's tough. Uh, 24 hours is tough. Are you 24 kidding me? hours is like 10 F- years. FOMO <laughs> is a real thing. Right. And right. so that fear of missing out on what is happening Absolutely. in the world or what's going on with your friends and family and whatnot. But at the exact same time, it is such a relief. It is one of those beautiful things when you can go, Hey, this electronic device that connects me to the entire world, I'm going to put you aside uh, and I'm going to focus on me or I'm going to... I have mine there. between my legs when I meditate <laughs> in the morning. Just in case. We're going to talk about spare when we come back. A really interesting concept. And uh, we'll get to that when we come back. We are here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs like uh, Deontre. I'm Pat O'Brien. This is Business Rockstars. Back in a minute. Here is some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if you sign up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's the affordable alternative to health insurance. And it's worked beautifully for 25 years. They have more than 400,000 members now around the country. MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. And over the years, members have shared over $3 billion of each other's medical bills. So they could help share your needs too. And best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings could be more or less, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. You're not stuck with a high-cost health plan. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more, and there's no pressure. They are super easy to talk to. Call 844-91-BIBLE. That's 844-91-BIBLE. 844-91-BIBLE. This is Business Rockstars. Rockstars. And we are here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Pat O'Brien. This is Business Rockstars. Deontra Hughes is our guest, the founder of Spare. So let's talk about this. Uh, we're dealing in cash. Mm-hmm. And I think most people, when they want to get cash, mm-hmm. by the way, welcome. Well, Pat. thank you. Thank you very much, Pat. Uh, dealing with cash, uh, ATMs, like the thing, right? Yeah. Well, it used to be. But you, I, well, let's <laughs> slow down. We'll get to it. But, you know... You decided to bypass that. Of course. How? Well, that mobile phone of ours is attached to our hip. Right? And it only makes sense that what we're doing is logical. It's the only next step in the evolution. When you packed all those services into that little device that we have every day, why not bridge the gap between digital and, and physical? And that's what we're doing. That's, but aren't we doing it like, for example, in a Starbucks, you do it? Sure, but that's still, you know, that's, that is, that's, only, that's in the payment of the goods. Mm-hmm. See, what we've done is we've applied that to the uh, dispensing of cash. Mm-hmm. So we've said that the so transaction... Tell me how this works. So the trans- What's one of your uh, companies? One of our merchants, yeah. yes. 
So one of the retailers, we have a uh, great merchant uh, in, in, in the Long Beach area, uh, I think it's Paramount City, um, called Magic City. Uh, an individual by by Gerald that runs his company and What's magic. So he sells magic goods. Okay, cool. yeah. So that's okay. that's his industry. And so somebody like myself, if I'm going down in that area, what I'll do is I'll open up my phone and I'll say, well, where's the nearest retailer that is willing to dispense twenty dollars to me? And so our application is going to show you the merchants that are in that area, uh, and then I'm going to send a request. So let's just say it's it's Gerald Shop, it's Magic City, and so I will send a request down to Magic City. Uh, I will walk in. I will be issued a one-time use barcode, a one-time use pen. I'll walk in. I'll authenticate with my device, uh, with Gerald's iOS device. Once that authentication is complete, shown to be good to go, Gerald will give me the twenty dollars, and I will go on my way. But you're dealing bigger figures. Now. Oh, absolutely. What's twenty bucks? You can't, yeah, can't even get a fake thumb for twenty bucks. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but but at the at the end of the day, what we're looking at is we're eliminating time. At the end of the day, time is money. Right. And we've all wasted time going to the convenience store to buy the gum, the, the gummy bears, or whatever it is, just so we can get cash back. And I believe that's an absurd way to do things today. When convenience should be at a snap of a finger, that's what we're giving you. Now, what does this cost you or the merchant? So the consumer... What does the merchant have to pay you? So the merchant is splitting the fee with us, mm-hmm. or we're splitting the fee with the what, merchant. What fee? So uh, as a consumer, so on that $20, I paid anywhere Let's between... Let's make it 100 Let's make it a hundred bucks. Yeah. Fair enough. So I pay $2.99 for that hundred dollar transaction. Mm. The merchant is going to take a, a flat fee of $1.25 out of that. So that goes directly into the merchant's pocket for filling that transaction. And Spare takes on the rest and pays the processing and whatnot, but we house the rest of that fee. So basically, you, you, you just um, lighten the workload to get money. Yes. Yes. Take Bitcoins. At this particular point, we are doing the testing to convert Bitcoin to cash. Mm-hmm. And so we're very excited in the next few weeks. We're actually going to roll out uh, to certain domestic areas the ability for our consumers in those zones to, to tap in to that Bitcoin. And we understand that there's less than 1,000 Bitcoin ATMs worldwide. And there's a, this desire, this necessity to be able to cash that out, to liquidate that Bitcoin How'd you account. talk these merchants into it? Oh, well, that's the easy part. Was? It was. It really was. Um, because we understood what it was that they needed. See, in, in the past... What did they need? Well, they needed increased foot traffic. Okay. They needed increased revenue. And they needed something that was more secure than an ATM. See, in the past, those merchants went out and they invested in those ATMs. And, and they, they never did it. work anyways. Right. But they did it with the purpose of achieving those three things. Right? Additional foot traffic, additional revenue, and some kind of security around those kind of cash transactions. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing is the ATM industry has let them down. And so Spare has come in as that logical replacement. We're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs who may or may not need cash. All of you do. I'm Pat O'Brien. This is Business Rockstars. Deontra Hughes is our guest. What was the hardware that you had to get for this? I'm sure it's mostly software, but you know what I mean? What, what sort of uh, schematic did you have to layout for these people well the only requisite truly for a merchant uh anything what they they're required to have Mm -hmm. inside of our system is they they just need an ios device so whether it's an iphone or an ipad just some extra cash right by the way ios is that thing that you never download (laughs) and it has benefits (laughs) i think you're up to ios 10 yes yes they are was it hard explaining to these people you're going to give cash to a stranger based on a barcode mm-hmm. that you're giving. Mm-hmm. Right. 
The the hardest part, so it sounds like Grand Theft Audio. Yeah, um, well, or audio as a as a startup mm-hmm. as a business today, you have to ensure that merchants trust you, the retailers oh, trust so you, yeah. um, and it's a partnership. And so, you know, we've had salespeople when they go out, they're trained to be, be very accommodating, very very. Um, they understand what the merchant situation is. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is that creates this very authentic relationship. Every merchant in our system, retailer agent in our system today has my contact information mm-hmm. because it's important. How many do you have? So we currently have over 700 merchants and we just acquired a deal to give us an additional 15,000 domestically. Now, what does the business get out of it? So we're By the t- way, I love this idea. I'm just- Yes, no, thank you. The business- questions that there. Well, the, the greatest thing that we can bring to uh, the merchants and our, our agents in the community is a connection factor. We're giving some small businesses like souvenir shops the ability to connect with millennials. Why would a millennial need to go into a souvenir shop? They buy everything online. And so now, right, so now, we, well, now we're giving them the ability to connect with a demographic that may not otherwise come into their location. And so we've created this relationship between our customer base and our merchant base that's really self-supportive. Mm-hmm. And you're growing too, right? We are. We're growing. So that's the testament that the idea is good, right? Yes, absolutely. So we, you know, we launched this application in August of 2016. Is it an app? It is an application, yes. How do I find it? So if you go to the app store and you search Spare, S-P-A-R-E. It says you're got Spare. Yes. So the, the website is gotspare.com. Mm-hmm. But if you go into the Apple App Store and you search Spare, S-P-A-R-E, mm-hmm. uh, we should be the number one result there, a nice big orange S, and that's us. Mm-hmm. Today, you can't take Apple Pay to an ATM. And so, right. and so what we've done is we've given that millennial base of ours the ability to plug in digital wallets and have access to cash more frequently, a lot easier than before. We got to go, but what, what's the next step? The next step is to, to take what we've done domestically and move it internationally. We understand that what we are doing uh, is not just beneficial to, to one neighborhood or one subset of, of one state. It is a, the, the movement of cash is something that needs to be fluid across the globe. Uh, and th- that is what we're bringing. That is our value proposition. And that was the beauty of ATM. It was a great way to get cash. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for, for banks, if we look at banks, those small you know, uh, credit unions and whatnot, the ATM is usually the first way that a, uh, a, a bank, a small community bank, gets into a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They go and they drop an ATM and they go, okay, we're, we're claiming some territory. But when you're a small bank, you don't have the, the uh, assets to, to go out and pay for ATMs. So what do you do? You partner with us. Because what we're able to do is give you the ability to expand beyond your physical limitations right quickly okay it's called spare you can go on your the app's called spare the app is called spare yes website is got spare he's deantra hughes yes nice job pat thank you so much way to go we are here to inspire inform and connect a community of entrepreneurs this has been business rock stars i'm pat o'brien we'll see you next time You shouldn't have to choose a random lawyer who charges expensive hourly rates when you need legal help. But the legal system is so complicated, what other choice do you have when you need help with your business or want to protect your family? 
Start with LegalZoom. They make it easy. For more than a decade, they've provided a way for regular people like you and me to confidently navigate the legal system. LegalZoom's not a law firm, and that's how they provide such great value. They don't rely on charging you by the hour. Instead, you'll get transparent pricing and customer reviews so you know exactly what you're getting up front. If you need help with incorporation, LLCs, trademarks, last wills, living trusts, and more, LegalZoom's the smart choice. They've got the right people on hand to answer your questions. And if you need legal advice, their network of independent attorneys can provide the straightforward guidance you need in most states. Don't let legal hurdles become an excuse. Go to LegalZoom.com today to start building your own future the right way. To save even more... This is Business Rockstars. Rockstars. Inspire, inform, and connecting a community of entrepreneurs. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Pat O'Brien. Welcome to the show. Now let's check in with Alex Worley for good reason. She's always got somebody great. Alex? We're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Alex Worley. This is Business Rockstars. And my guests today, Andres Isquieta and Dee Murthy, they are the co-founders of 5-4 Club. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So tell me, what is the 5-4 Club? So 5-4 Club is a long journey. It's a, we started 15 years ago as a, an apparel brand and in the more traditional wholesale and retail business. And about four years ago, we pivoted into a men's subscription service where for $60 a month, you get two to three items at 5-4 delivered to your door. Um, that includes shipping, and it's an easy way for guys to shop and enjoy style and kind of begin their style journey. So this has been a long journey, been in business for 15 years. It's evolved a lot. How did you find that perseverance to just keep going and try new things and eventually have it work? I think from day one, we had this, this mission to change the way that men dressed. And even though we, we had no idea how we were going to get there, um, we were just driven by the idea of creating something that was our own, our own brand that reflected our lifestyle. And for the first 10 years of our business, we were a traditional wholesale and retail model, like Dee said. Um, when we pivoted to this 5-4 Club concept in 2012, we kind of, we thought that we finally saw the light where we were able to take all the pitfalls um, from the traditional clothing business and we're able to adapt to kind of like the new medium in terms of how consumers were actually shopping and how we felt that the customer wanted to be curated and where the customer was going, essentially. Yeah. And I'm sure it felt a little risky to do something that really hasn't been done before. It's so much easier to look at what's worked for other people and be like, oh, I'm just going to like copy that, you know, not reinvent the wheel. But you guys are, in a sense, reinventing the wheel. So how did you know that there was actually opportunity there? I think the for the first 10 years of our business, We'd always follow the traditional path. And we actually, I think we've listened to too many people where they were like, this is how you launch an apparel brand. This is how you get into stores. Finally, we woke up one day and said, hey, none of this is working for us. We got to find our own path. And ultimately, that's what led down to the club. And I think the fact that we kind of got out of the comfort zone of what everyone tells you to do and you do your own thing is actually when we started seeing results. Yeah, you were zigging where other people were zagging and it came together and worked really well for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you learn from spending many years in the more traditional space of fashion? 
I think from a foundation basis, we obviously learn the, the basics. We learn how to manufacture, we learn how to, to design, to merchandise, to market, to somewhat to consumers. Um, but more importantly, we learn like the backbone of how the traditional clothing business is ran, which is traditionally driven by design and manufacturing. Um, from a perspective of like how that comes into what we do today, there's a lot of things that transfer, but there's a lot of things that don't. So I think you know we're able to transfer what's important, but at the same time, what was exciting is that we kind of started new, and I think it's okay to kind of like disrupt yourself and it's yeah. okay to you know it's like when people die there's new people that come in that are supposed to whatever all evolving yeah. it's all evolving yeah right? totally so for us we saw that evolution um we weren't necessarily scared and our attitude is always just do it and we don't like to think too much about things and just do it if you if it works great you keep evolving and iterating if it doesn't work, cool, you learn from it and then you figure out what to do next. Yeah, a lot of entrepreneurship is just trying new things and, and seeing what works and then going with that. Yeah. So going back to you, you said design and manufacturing are very important, whether or not you're doing the traditional model or you're being innovative. So what are a couple key components to being successful in those two areas, design and manufacturing? I think that in design, just first is knowing what you want, right? So... If there's an idea of how you can make something better, then great. Um, really understanding the manufacturing process helps you to design things better because you know what you can and cannot do. Um, and, you know, obviously, like he said earlier, when people a lot of time try to tell you what to do or what direction to go in, you know, you have to take advice from with like a grain of salt where yeah. you take things into consideration, but at the end of the day, you need to do what you want to do and for us you know design and manufacturing is a bit kind of at the core of our business and the way that we look at the future is that that is always going to be the core nucleus but in terms of what's consumer facing it's going to be about the experience so from a design perspective um, our thesis is how can we make things at the best quality possible and and offer it to the consumer at the best price as well yeah all right, this is Business Rockstars. We're here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Alex Worley, joined by Andres Isquieta and Dee Murthy. They are the co-founders of 5-4 Club. So you want to make quality products at a good price point. With that in mind, where did you start when it came to manufacturing? So that's actually a really funny story because I think a lot of younger people can relate. Actually, you can't relate to how we found them, but we actually found our first manufacturer in the Yellow Pages. Oh, wow. So literally... We, I remember those yeah, days. <laughs> so it was a big yellow book, and you found people to do things. And we literally just found the biggest ad. They said screen printing in L.A. and that's, They must know what they're doing. Yeah, they're, they're the, the biggest ad. ad. So, I mean, <laughs> needless to say, that wasn't a pleasant experience. But I think what we did that was always strong is that we just got out there. We just asked questions and we went to China, we went to India, we went to all these countries. So you actually met the people who were going yeah. to be making your Yeah, we clothing. went, we were never afraid to go and talk to people and ask them to help us. And I think that's how we really started the manufacturing process. We started with that screen printer that led us to a sewer, that led us to a 
hat maker that led us to a denim maker that led us to a fabric mill. Like, you know, we just kind of... Really kind of the old-fashioned way. Yes. Just a word of mouth and referrals and yeah, that and kind of thing, which is still underrated today. Like, that is so important Yeah, there's so many... Today. Exactly. And there's so many businesses even today, like, they're making product, but they've never been to the factory. They don't understand the process. Like, we actually sat and learned every little process in the apparel business in the more traditional way. And I think that's what we appreciate the whole process on a daily basis and what it takes to get great product to your customer. Yeah. And you have a very distinct, recognizable brand. What is the messaging behind your brand that you're really trying to connect with your customer on? Whoever wants to. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, for us, it's really about driving this concept of discovery and being an explorer and being the modern man. Um, to us, trying new things is kind of like an a habitual thing and to really have that kind of mindset where like the way that we see our customer you know our customer is a guy that is you know trying to find out what the cool new things are what you know where the great places to go eat are he uses uber or lyft he goes on postmates goes on amazon prime this that, and the other yeah so you've really thought about your customer in detail what yeah. you know what companies he yeah because if you think about the premise of five four club is that we send you basically two items that are a surprise in a box yeah and you have to trust us that we're going to do the best job possible in curating that package and that experience for you so with that in mind the mindset i think is where things first start and really that concept of wanting to be an explorer is a kind of key front and center in that. So your business has evolved a lot. Tell me about those key points where you were evolving and disrupting yourself and the industry and how you knew there was actually opportunity there. I think the biggest pivotal moment was in 2008. It was like the beginning of the recession. And we got in a week's time, um, I'm not going to name the retailers, but one returned $2 million of goods, another one didn't pay their bills, and another one went bankrupt. Yikes. When that happened, we were like, this business model is broken. Like, because yeah. you can't make money, there's no point in continuing on. So that, I think, was a way, like an aha moment, where we were like, we're classic Americana, the, the modern version of it, in, in our apparel kind of vision. And those brands that Macy's and Nordstrom's had carried, your Ralph Lauren's, your Tommy Hilfiger's, they were never going to make room for a brand like ours. So we had to go find a new distribution model so that we can grow our business to speak to the customer because those retailers weren't allowing us. So I think that really was the moment when we realized we had to change the way we thought about the world when it came to fashion. Yeah, and for entrepreneurs that are new or aspiring watching this that may or may not be in the fashion industry, what advice do you have for paying attention to where there could be opportunity to disrupt the industry, but have it still be a calculated risk? I think you just have to look at the market, look at products, see what product is out there, look at your personal experience, see how you experience things. things your distribution platform of that product? Is it something that you buy offline? Is it something that you buy online? And I think more importantly is like, how do you talk to your customer when selling this product? Now with online and social and this, that, and the other, you're able to speak to your customer in a very different way than it was like five, 10 years right. ago. So there's so many cool new ideas or new ways to present certain options where before that didn't exist because technology was not there. Um, when looking at things, being able to kind of see that. And then if it's a consumer product, like something that's tangible, 
really understanding how to make something is super important. Like go to the factory, sit there and watch, learn. Like he said, don't just sit behind a keyboard and see things like I've been in this business now for 15 years. And for instance, I was in Guatemala this week for denim and I learned something there. And I'd been to like, I don't know, 50 to 75 denim factories, but I learned something new. So you, you always have to be able to adapt. Oh, such good stuff. Guys, thank you so much for coming in. My guests, Andres Isqueta and Dee Murthy, they are the co-founders of 5-4 Club. And we are here to inspire, inform, and connect a community of entrepreneurs. I'm Alex Worley, and this is Business Rockstars. Want to be among the elite on top of the mountain? Start adopting these traits and habits that the successful do differently. Hi folks, I'm Pat O'Brien with the Business Rockstars Minute. Number one, they surround themselves with supporters. They have friends and people in their inner circle that help them grow, get better, and achieve their biggest goals and dreams in life. The best of the best know how vitally important it is to surround themselves with a team of like-minded individuals who are going to help them win in all facets of life. Number two, they constantly expand their vision. Instead of letting their past mistakes, failures, and hardships define their destiny, they constantly expand their vision as to what's possible. They know that as long as they're still breathing, and get the opportunity to live another day, there's more to do and achieve. I'm Pat O'Brien, and this has been a Business Rockstars Minute. This is a special alert to all Americans who own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles with an auto warranty about to expire or with no warranty coverage at all. Due to a decline in the economy, Protect My Car is announcing a low-cost extended service plan that is now available to the public to save any driver out-of-pocket expenses on auto repairs. Call now to find out how you can pay nothing for auto repairs. Yes, you heard that correctly. Pay nothing for auto repairs. An open phone line has been established for all drivers to call for a free quick quote. Call 800-806-1586 now. Drivers who are covered by Protect My Car will not have to pay for a covered repair bill again. This auto coverage is at an all-time low, much lower than what dealerships are charging. Additionally, drivers who activate this auto coverage today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and free car rental at no additional cost. Call Protect My Car for your free quick quote today. 800-806-1586. 800-806-1586. What do you have to lose? Again, 800-806-1586. This is your Tech It Out Minute with Mark Saltzman, brought to you by Asus. If you haven't yet heard of Molly Burke, let me fill you in. She's a typical sushi-loving millennial, a motivational speaker, and a YouTuber with almost 2 million followers. And she's done it all after losing her vision. I spoke with Molly, and she told me that success definitely didn't happen overnight. No, definitely not. And I think a lot of people get discouraged when they start a YouTube channel, and they look at somebody like me who has one point million and are like, oh, I'm never going to get there. Like, of course. I mean, it took me a year to hit 5,000 and another year to hit 10,000. So it's really about getting into making videos for the right reason, for the passion, loving sharing your story or your message, whatever it is, and creating your own little community. It shouldn't be about 
the, you know, quote, fame or fortune or whatever that kind of idea might be. Check out Molly Burke on YouTube. That was your Tech It Out Minute. This is Business Rockstars. Rockstars. Inspire, inform, and connecting a community of entrepreneurs. This is Business Rockstars. I'm Pat O'Brien. Welcome to the show. Let's check in with Mark Lack. How do you know if getting a celebrity endorsement is the right move for your business and your brand? Joining us to answer that question is Lindsay Carnett. She's the CEO and president of Marketing Maven. It's a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Thanks for having me. So how do we know if it's the right move for our business? I'll give you a buyer beware. So having a celebrity involved with your business can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. So you have to determine, one, do you know your target audience? So if you know that you have a viable brand, you have a specific target audience, then and only then can you really determine which celebrities should I even invite to the table? Hmm. And then how do you present your business well enough to make it interesting for them? So a lot of the times what I see is a business and a brand that has a product or service and an offer that is in alignment with something a celebrity is in alignment with. For example, maybe a celebrity has had cancer or health problems yep. and a company has the product or the service that provides the solution Correct. to the cancer or the health problem. Then there's synergy there and it makes sense and it doesn't seem like it's a cop out and a sellout on yep. either part but there's actually congruency and alignment there. So is uh, something like that. Like if you're a business, you have a product and a service and there's a celebrity out there who's in alignment and is very congruent with the values, the beliefs and the offer, that would be something that would make sense. You have to know how to tap into the heart strings of Mm. the celebrity and it will help you sweeten your deal. Exactly. Like if they've already gone through the problem, Maybe your business was the one that did help them. Who knows? If you're at that level, right? Maybe you exactly. maybe you're the one that helped that person and then you could reach out to them. Maybe not. In a lot of cases, that's probably not mm-hmm. going to be the situation. Mm-hmm. So let's say that I'm a small business, mm-hmm. right? Maybe I'm doing anywhere between a million to five million dollars or mm-hmm. less. Mm-hmm. How would I know? Give us some contextual examples. Maybe you've helped people do this, just like I'm a small business. Sure. I'm not a big company with a big budget. I'm a small business and I'm looking to maybe capitalize on leveraging influencers and celebrities? Sure. So first of all, it's researching where are these people and what other deals do they have on the table? So one example is just, I mean, we have a nonprofit called WaterAid. WaterAid America, it's a huge organization. It's a global organization. And they're looking to align with celebrities that are from different parts of the world. Mm. So for example, they just built a whole facility in, they, they installed toilets. It's all for women's health. So they're looking for a woman of Colombian descent. So okay. Sophia Rigero would be a huge fit for them, but we first have to check what other nonprofits they're associated yeah. with. A lot of um, athletes, for example, will have their own foundation and it's, you know, they have their golf events and everything. So we first have to make sure nothing's conflicting and then go in with the ask. And a lot of times it's having that person experience your brand. Yeah. So we did a Norwegian design tour with Ty Pennington and it was not a, a formal endorsement by any means, but to have him embrace that culture 
really made a difference with how the level of interest that he had working with different companies. So I love that you brought up research because I think that's the first thing you have to do is you have to research to see maybe they're already doing something with another nonprofit and it looks a little weird if somebody's supporting all of these nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So I love that you brought up the research part. How do we go about reaching out to them though? So let's say we've done our research. Mm -hmm. Now we found somebody that we think might be a fit or you have a couple candidates we want to reach out to. What's the best way to do that? I know that all of the agents and all of the managers will hate me for saying this, but my most success has come from actually reaching out to that person directly. To the celebrity. So a lot of times you can't do that though. Yeah. So, but if there's some sort of in that you have to go to them directly, yeah. if it's something that speaks to them and pulls on their heartstrings, yeah. then it's probably not going to pull on the heartstrings of the agent and not going to pull on the heartstrings of the manager because there's like their no job's money like involved. the attorney. It's to right. say no to everything. Right, exactly. So you want to try and go as directly as possible. If it's okay. something that you know that you've, you've researched really well, it will help this person emotionally somehow. And, yeah. and there is that connection. Fantastic. So you got to get ultimately to them, ideally in the ideal world, and then leverage the emotional side again, based on research. So a lot of businesses out there, they may or may not be spending money on marketing, mm -hmm. but there's some very key important metrics and numbers to look at when you're getting into the marketing game. What are they? Lifetime value of the customer and cost to acquire a customer. Okay. So I'm a business owner. Mm -hmm. I'm either already spending money on my marketing, mm -hmm. or I'm just getting ready. Maybe a lot of my businesses come from word of mouth sure. and I'm getting clients. I don't necessarily know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm a little nervous to start spending my money. You and I both help people, yes. help businesses with consulting, specifically on the areas of sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. I see people all the time. I go into their business, I'm gonna help them grow, generate more leads and convert more leads. Mm -hmm. So first, first question is, what's your customer acquisition cost? And a lot of people don't know how to answer that. So why is that so important? Because you need to know when you are spending your money, how to get a new customer into your funnel and you need to know how much to spend. So basically we marketing professionals like to back into the numbers and figure out, all right, what are your revenue goals? Yeah. How many people do you need to get in your funnel so that you figure out what is your cost per acquisition? So to acquire a new customer means a lot of different things for different companies. Um, it means more if you're a continuity-based business, for example. But, uh, you know- Because then you just, know the lifetime value, you can project that out. Exactly. And you can figure out, you might be spending at a loss initially, but if the people are staying on your program for X number of months, it, it grows. So that's the whole value of- Like, if you know your lifetime value, for example, to keep it super easy, if we were just going to say- it cost us twenty dollars mm -hmm. to acquire a customer. Right. But we know that customer in ninety days is worth a hundred dollars to us. Right. How much? Right. Or if we just knew that, if, forget the customer acquisition cost. If we knew the customer was worth a hundred dollars in ninety mm -hmm. days, how much could we spend to acquire them? Right. You would want to spend probably fifty, <laughs> not twenty, depends, or right? you could yeah. spend. I mean, insurance companies are paying a huge amount of money per lead. Yeah to acquire that customer because that customer, the lifetime value is so high. Yeah. So it's all relative based on what that lifetime value of that customer is. Lindsay, thanks for coming Great. on the show. Thanks. I'm Mark Lack. This is Business Rockstars. We connect a community of entrepreneurs. You can join us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at businessrockstars.com.